Magic Without Fears, Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. Without Fears, Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. The Esoteric Rosicrucians by Martin P. Starr. The beginnings of the Ordo Templi Orientis in North America. North American Conference on Esotericism, Michigan State University, June 5th, 2004. Note, this paper is adapted from my book, The Unknown God, W.T. Smith and the Thelemites, 2003. The spread of occult, Masonic, and theosophical organizations in the late 19th century opened wide the door for the creation of a wide variety of syncretic esoteric movements, which freely blended culturally disparate elements. The fusion of religious ideas drawn from the traditions of the West and the ill-understood East largely viewed through theosophical spectacles, brought together for the first time forms of esoteric practices which in reality had little to cause them to be conjoined in the first place other than the drive of the founders of these bodies and their unquestioned belief in the comparative method and the unity of all religions. The seeds for one of these eclectic organizations were first sown in North America in the Anglo-centric and conservative soil of British Columbia which is, of course, where I'm from. The esoteric, religious, and fraternal body known as the Ordo Templi Orientis, OTO, the Order of the Temple of the Orient, or the Order of Oriental Templars, a co-Masonic system of nine principal degrees founded and headed by the German journalist, spy, and promoter of fringe Masonic rites, Theodore Roos, 1855 to 1923. Bruce's autocracy was transmuted by the English occultist Alistair Crowley, 1875 to 1947, into a vehicle for his proposed feudalistic reconstruction of society under his own leadership. The roots of the OTO are to be found in a variety of disparate sources. The most apparent of them is Freemasonry, a widely socially acceptable form of fraternalism with the prevailing undercurrent of esoteric content. To this conventional base was wedded a form of Rosicrucianism that included secret ritual sexual practices whose ideas were derived from the Church Fathers' hostile accounts of various Gnostic groups, tantric teachings, and the occult influence of a 19th-century African-American spiritualist. 
Over this synthesis was poured a liberal dose of theosophical coloring. The very name, Oriental Templars, suggested this marriage of East and West, which found its fruition in Gnostic teachings of the OTO proper in its degrees of 7 through 9. The OTO's original aims were further mutated by Crowley into an all-encompassing plan for a new world order designed to spread the law of Thelema, Greek for will. The philosophical doctrine he derived from his direct voice-spirit communication, The Book of the Law, 1904. In this talk, I will outline some of the sources of the teachings of the OTO and trace the complex chain of people and events that led to its initial establishment in North America. For such a numerically small movement, an abundance of source documents survive, and I am fortunate to have had the fullest access to the various archives in the course of my research, as well as to the last living members of the OTO of Crowley's day. The most conventional of all the facets of the OTO was its derivation from Freemasonry, and even in this, we must look outside the circles of the widely accepted fraternal structures of the late 19th century. The Masonic antecedents of the OTO begin with a charter for a German sovereign sanctuary of the ancient and primitive rite of Freemasonry, a Masonic body of checkered origins which claim to confer the well-known degrees of the ancient accepted Scottish rite of Freemasonry, often referred to in America simply as the Scottish rite, as well as the esoterically oriented Egyptian rite of Memphis and the oriental rite of Mizraim. The charter was issued September 24, 1902, by the Grand Hierophant, 92nd degree, of the ancient and primitive rite John Yarker, 1833-1913, of Manchester, England, to Roos and two colleagues. Yarker had been expelled from the ancient and accepted rite in 1870. He, in turn, brought the ancient and primitive rite to Britain from the United States in 1872. Despite its grand name, Yarker's ancient and primitive rite was viewed by the legitimate Scottish rite authority in England, the Supreme Council 33rd degree of the ancient and accepted rite for England and Wales, as an attempted importation of the irregular American Curnow rite, which had disappeared in the United States by 1902. Recognized or not, it was fashioned as a Masonic rite, and thus by statute no women were admitted to the ancient and primitive rite, a severe limitation for the tantric aims Royce had in mind. In the welter of high-grade bodies in Germany, the ancient and primitive rite proved to be a bust, just as it was in England, where Yarker succeeded in affiliating about a hundred masons and then ceased to attract more once the opposition of the legitimate Supreme Council became known. Another source for the mythos of the OTO system came from the 19th high-grade Masonic order, the Societis Rosicruciana in Anglia, SRIA, the Masonic Rosicrucian Society of England. The SRIA begun in 1865 as a literary society whose membership was open solely to master masons. Although its mythic history tried to reclaim a continental Rosicrucian origin, it is firmly a creation of mid-19th century Britain, and it became the venue of choice for esoterically inclined Masons. The structure of its rituals was a major influence on the ceremonies of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, of which Crowley was a prominent member. Of course, a uh, note here for me, he was not a prominent member at any point in any way. 
<laughs> he was a defamed member who couldn't pass his grades or the key grade to get out and become an adept. Roos himself had been a regular British Mason whose membership had lapsed. Nevertheless, he granted permission to start a Berlin college of the SRIA in 1902. It was to be short-lived. Owing to a homosexual scandal, Roos's SRIA college was declared dormant in 1907. It was a crushing blow, not one that he took lightly, but the significance of his experience with the SRIA is that allowed Roos to claim to a source for Rosicrucian legitimacy in his future endeavors. Out of the collapse of Roos's Masonic schemes grew the dreams for a new order which was to admit men and women to Freemasonry on equal basis, as a preparation for ultimate unveiling of sexual magic, which Roos believed was the unifying secret behind Gnostic Christianity, Templary, Freemasonry, and Rosicrucianism. To state any of this policy openly at that time would have been little short of suicidal. Like a good journalist, Roos cloaked his aims, using language palatable to the esoteric community of the day that would not be likely to alert the outer and profane world of his actual plans. The predominant and numerically largest esoteric group then active was the Theosophical Society, TS. Roos was careful to wrap his fledgling order in terms familiar to sympathizers of the Theosophical movement. Roos himself claims to have been acquainted with Madame Blavatsky and that he joined the TS in 1885. He served as vice president of the first national convention of the Theosophical Society in Europe, Germany, in August 1896. Borrowing a phrase from American theosophist William Q. Judge's speech to the 1893 World Parliament of Religions in Chicago, we insist that universal brotherhood is a fact in nature. Roos established as Article 11, Section 1 of the Constitution for his proposed society, quote, The OTO declares the, that brotherhood of all things created is a fact in nature. The principal purpose of the OTO was to teach brotherhood, casting the intent of the OTO in a similar light to the first object of the TS, which was to form a nucleus of the universal brotherhood of humanity without distinction of race, creed, sex, caste, or color. The subsidiary aims of the OTO were not unlike the second and third objects of the TS, which were to encourage the study of comparative religion, philosophy, and science, and to investigate unexplained laws of nature and the powers latent in man. To these lofty humanitarian aims, Roos added, the plan of diffusing the teachings of the OTO through schools and homes called profess houses. Profess houses. Devoted to this purpose. In particular, Roos wanted to create rest homes for pregnant women as he had proclaimed that thus the first aim of our order is the esoteric practical realization of our teachings is that in future the mother is to be honored as high priestess in her family. Every pregnant woman is a saint in our eyes. She is a symbol of human procreation from the godly power of creation. The elevation of the status of motherhood was thus seen as an effective counter-trend against the negating effects of the suffragette movement under which England was suffering. In Roos's view, and it was to developments in England that the OTO would gain its most powerful proponent, Aster Crowley. The link to Crowley would come through his Rosicrucian connection. Crowley, for a time, followed the leadership of Samuel Little Mather, Mathers, Typo. In his claim 
to headship of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn after it broke into factions after 1900. Crowley announced in his occult serial, The Equinox, the publication of the Rosicrucian Second Order Ritual, which appeared in the March 1910 issue, Volume 1, Number 3. Although it was rumored that Mathers had sold Crowley his copyrights in the ritual, the former sued Crowley to restrain publication, claiming he was the sole authentic chief of the Rosicrucian order. Mathers' defeat by Crowley resulted in the latter being deluged by innumerable sole authentic chiefs of the Rosicrucian order. One of the more persistent of these was Theodore Roos, frater superior of the outer head in Mundo of the Ordo of Oriental Templars. When Roos first came to call on Crowley in the spring of 1910, he offered Crowley the 7th degree of the OTO, the equivalent degree to 33rd degree of the Scottish Rite, which Crowley already held after a fashion. Crowley's slight interest in Freemasonry had dwindled. He thought it either vain pretense, tomfoolery, an excuse for drunken rowdiness, or a sinister association for political intrigues and commercial pirates. And that's from Aleister Crowley's Confessions of Aleister Crowley, 1969. Crowley found Roos a bore and a bully and tried to call their initial meeting to a prompt close. Roos again visited Crowley in the spring of 1912. He flatly accused Crowley of publishing the central secret of the ninth degree of the OTO involving the magical use of heterosexual intercourse. Reminiscing about Roos's explanation of the ninth degree formula, Crowley noted that the secret, as at that time possessed by the order, was in a very crude and unscientific form, and there was no explanation of the conditions which had to be brought about to get it to work, and I spent many years of experiment finding out what those conditions were. Roos proceeded to issue a charter dated April 21, 1912, styling him National Grand Master General for Great Britain and Ireland, with the British section denominated Mysteria Mystica Maxima, M.M.M. Crowley considered his authority under Roos to have covered all countries where English was spoken, and Roos granted Crowley a document which, to the latter's mind, supported his view of his territorial sovereignty. Crowley stated that he worked closely with Roos in London, where a lodge had been established, in writing rituals for the OTO, which he constructed on standard Masonic models. Crowley composed an illustrated instruction on the sexual mysteries of the ninth degree entitled Agape vel Liber Si vel Azoth Sal Philosophorum, the book of the unveiling of the Sangral, wherein it is spoken of the wine of the Sabbath of the Adepts. It was Crowley's attempt to create his own version of the anonymous Geheimfiguren der Rosenkreuzen, 1785, best known through Franz Hartmann's translation entitled The Secret Symbols of the Rosicrucians, 1885. Although the title page of Crowley's MS of Agape stated that it was a translation from the German original, it includes an unattributed passage from the works of the American self-created Rosicrucian spiritualist and writer on sexual magic, Pascal Beverly Randolph. The quotation is taken from the secret instructions for his occult order devoted to sexual magic, the Hermetic Brotherhood of Luxor. Randolph's teachings on sexual magic are a major influence on the theories of the OTO, yet they were never acknowledged by Crowley, who may in fact not have been aware of their origins. 
John Patrick Devaney's thorough biography of Randolph outlines the descent from Randolph to Royce's proximate sources, but for the moment we should note that both Royce and Crowley openly stated that the OTO possessed the secrets of the Hermetic Brotherhood of Light, a claimed successor organization to Randolph's Hermetic Brotherhood of Luxor. Crowley's version of the OTO did not fail for lack of promise to the potential initiate. In this passage from the Order's Manifesto, one can see the free association of Eastern and Western esoteric elements. Quote, the aims of the OTO can only be understood fully by its highest initiates, but it may be said openly that it teaches hermetic science or occult knowledge. The pure and holy magic of light, the secret of mystic attainment, yoga of all forms, gnana, yoga, raja yoga, bhakta yoga, and hatha yoga, and all other branches of the secret wisdom of the ancients. In its bosom repose the great mysteries, its brain has resolved all the problems of philosophy and of life. It possesses the secret of the stone of the wise, of the elixir of immortality, and of the universal medicine. Moreover, it possesses a secret capable of realizing the world-old dream of the brotherhood of man. Crowley, Manifesto of the MMM, circa 1913, page 8. The phrase hermetic science would have called to mind the esoteric Christianity of Anna Kingsford and Edward Maitland, whose new gospel was proclaimed in The Perfect Way, or The Finding of Christ, 1882. Kingsford's work formed a bridge to the Eastern traditions represented by the Theosophical Society, set comfortably in a predominant framework of Western mystery traditions. The Stone of the Wise, the Elixir of Immortality, and the Universal Medicine pointed to the Rosicrucian doctrines of alchemical medicine while the Brotherhood of Man was a Masonic ideal, here made possible by means of an unnamed secret. To join the OTO was an Emersonian hitching of one's wagon to a star. Despite all the great promise of esoteric wisdom, the membership in the OTO in England prior to World War I was very small indeed, yet with Crowley, a self-promoter of the First Order, at the virtual helm, it was always guaranteed to gain attention. One who saw the OTO as a chance for more light was an occult student of Crowley's named Charles Stansfield Jones, 1886 to 1950, author of books on the Kabbalah under the magical name Frater Achad, and also known for his later association with the novelist Malcolm Lowry. Incidentally, uh, in my year at Capilano College, I would go and do uh, ritual work and uh, rosary work at this old graveyard above the college, not knowing that right there where I was standing in the old part was Frater Achad's gravestone. Um, I just didn't know, but I would go around and commune with spirits and do my work for three hours in between waiting for my next evening class, and that was uh, pretty funny. Me and Chris Bennett had a few laughs about that when we talked about our mutual connections to that graveyard. Intrigued by its possibilities, Jones had queried Crowley on the import of the announcements of the OTO in the pages of the late numbers of Volume 1 of the Equinox, the text for which was influenced in part by the themes of the Rosicrucian letters of Karl von Eckhartshausen, Die Volke über dem Heiligtum, 1802. In its English translation, The Cloud Upon the Sanctuary, this mystical work had been recommended to Crowley by A. E. Waite when he first sought the inner church. Now that a small esoteric group was forming around Jones in British Columbia, 
a high-minded, fraternal society like the OTO, which was organized in a lodge structure, began to be practical. Crowley had intimated that Jones would have to come to England to receive the degrees and his charter, or alternatively that Crowley would need to visit him in Vancouver. Neither proved to be absolute requirements to Jones' getting started. Jones had his willing occult student, Wilfred Talbert Smith, 1885 to 1957, sign an undertaking on October 24, 1914, indicating his readiness to join the MMM and take the initiations up to the 111th degree. Smith was, like Jones, an English native who had emigrated to Canada in search of a better life, away from the restrictions of his native land. They both found work as clerks with the British Columbia Electric Railway. Smith was eager to follow Jones wherever he would lead him. With his typical alacrity, Crowley mailed Jones an elaborate patent dated January 1, 1915, signed by St. Edward Alistair Crowley. It proclaimed, Right worthy brother, C. Stansfield Jones, to be expedientiae causa for the sake of expedience see a holder of all the degrees of the OTO up to and including Sovereign Grand Inspector General of All Rights. Our representative in the city of Vancouver, 7th degree. In terms of its Masonic parallels by his, this patent, Crowley elevated Jones to the equivalent of the 33rd degree of the Scottish Rite and made him an active member of the Supreme Council of the OTO, in a fashion similar to Crowley's rapid induction into the order by Roos. His excuse for the irregularity of the procedure was that in the present world crisis, the OTO is urgently in need of depositories in remote parts of the inestimably valuable secrets of its hired grades. Having Crowley's authority, Jones immediately sought to gather members, which he found an easy task. His circle of occult students and their wives were more than keen to join. But what did Wilfred Smith and the other new members know of the origins of the OTO? Near to nothing, it would seem, from the available evidence. Nor did Jones have any clear conception of the various claimed relationships with Freemasonry and other orders until he entered into direct communication with Royce. From the externals of the OTO, one would have imagined it to be a body entirely similar to Freemasonry, with the exception that women were admitted, as in the theosophically dominated Comasonic order. Literature on the OTO was sparse. The appeal seemed largely a matter of personal contact and trust in Jones's bona fides. It would seem that these sorts of questions were not pressing on the British Columbian aspirants of the OTO, who took the order as it was imparted to them without any further inquiry. They were pledged to accept that all meaningful authority began and ended with Crowley, whose views on Freemasonry were held by a decided minority. More importantly, joining the OTO implied that the candidate was united in fraternal bonds with Crowley, later described by Smith as the greatest genius of our times, if not of all time, the logos of the new age. For aspirants, this was a sufficient motivation for them to join this otherwise mysterious order. Smith and his common-law wife, Nem, signed the preliminary pledge form of the MMM on January 18, 1915, wherein the Masonic claims of the order under the headship of Baphomet should have been apparent. Quote, A. I swear in the presence of the great architect of the universe, by the volume of the sacred law, that I have not at any time been initiated into Freemasonry. B. I acknowledge the authority of Baphomet, 
11th degree, 33rd degree, 90 degree, 95 degree, Grand Master, whose private seal is affixed to this paper as the sole and supreme authority in Freemasonry, so that the obligations which I may take to him supersede and override any and all of my previous obligations, and I swear never to take obligations to any other authority without his consent. Cancel A if necessary. Again, none of these details seem to matter to the candidates. As for Smith, he was delighted. He confided to his diary his pleasure that his wife joined with such ease. He saw ahead of him a life's work in the OTO. His mind was completely consumed with what he very rightly saw as the turning point in his life. He devoted the remainder of his existence in an attempt to make the plan of the OTO become a physical reality. Jones, too, was no idle dreamer. Suitable meeting rooms had been found, an old Chesterfield schoolhouse, at 1352 Lonsdale Avenue in North Vancouver, which is a block where I grew up on 1313, where Jones and his family also resided. Brother Howard E. White, signing himself as Grand Secretary General of Vancouver, informed Smith by letter of April 11, 1915, that his reception into the OTO was to take place at the above address on April 17th at 7.45 p.m. The minute book of what was to be known as British Columbia Lodge No. 1 opens with the dramatic event of the ceremonial of Minerval, or the zero degree of the OTO, on April 17, 1915. The first time Crowley's ritual was performed for a group in North America. Owing to their prior fraternal obligations, several of the officers had been previously advanced beyond the Minerval. Brothers W.C. Clark and Benjamin Dawson were affiliated to the 111th and 4th degrees, respectively. Clark was a member of the Comasonic Order as well as an active member of the Theosophical Society itself. Dawson was a regular Royal Archmason. The rest were all newcomers to the experience of the fraternal initiation ceremony, a mainstay of the 20th century culture. The fees were $20, which entitled them to the 111th degree. The subscription for 1915 was $15. By comparison, Jones had to pay 250 for his 7th degree and subscription, a considerable sum for the times. We know from his diary that Smith was enthralled. As he stood bound in front of the tent of Saladin, the presiding officer in the camp of the Minervals, he thought he experienced a cold wind blowing past him, even though Clark assured him it was a perfectly calm night. He felt as if the scene was taking place in the wilds of the desert instead of in the urbanized realms of North Vancouver. It's crazy to hear so much reference to my little hometown. The Minerval ritual, brief as it was, formed a lasting memory picture, one which gave Smith great pleasure to revisit. Jones provided him with Crowley's explanation of the spiritual meaning of the ceremony of Minerval, which helped him put the dramatic experience into some context. Smith immediately applied himself to understand and apply the inner meaning of the ritual, guided by Crowley's insights and by his own meditations on the formulation of the negative in the ego, said to be the inner meaning of the Minerval degree. Despite the positive beginning, the seeds of the fraternal endeavor did not take root in British Columbia. Their later adventures were detailed in my book, The Unknown God, W.T. Smith and the Thelemites, 2003, which I earnestly suggest to my learned audience desiring further light on the subject. For the present, 
Let us note that the contemporary movement never succeeded in attracting more than a very small number of members. Stansfield Jones headed east to help Crowley establish the OTO in New York City in 1918. Wilfred Smith followed him in 1920. With their motive force absent, interests soon dwindled and all traces of the OTO as an organized activity in the province ceased by 1922. Later attempts were made with the help of Smith to start the order in Detroit and Chicago, but they were met by a wall of opposition channeled to the public by a string of devastating scandals colorfully depicted in the pages of the Hearst American Weekly. By 1925, Jones had reached his limit and broke off relations with Crowley. Aside from their personal and philosophical differences, it had been clear to both of them for some time that the magical current was exhausted and the order needed to be reorganized. The OTO remained dormant in North America until 1935, when Smith, having emigrated to Hollywood, tried again to raise the order to a living level. He attracted to his circle a wide variety of personalities, from the actor David Carradine to the gay liberationist Harry Hay, and was the brother-in-law to the second Mrs. L. Ron Hubbard. Although it never had a significant base of membership in Roos and Crowley's time, the influence of both the myth and the reality of the teachings of the OTO continues to play a part in the Western esoteric community, and as such, is worthy of further historical inquiry. That's Martin P. Starr's lecture on the esoteric Rosicrucians, the beginnings of the Ordo Templi Orientis in North America, which he delivered to me and some other academics at the North American Conference on Esotericism, uh, which should actually be called the first annual general meeting of the Association for the Study of Esotericism, which was at Michigan State University in East Lansing on June 5th, 2004. It's an interesting story. Um, I flew from Vancouver to Toronto and then bust down to there to meet up for the first time with Nicholas Goodrick Clark and present to him my proposal for my doctoral dissertation on Evelyn Underhill, to which he immediately agreed and was thrilled and even encouraged me to jump out of my master's programs at the University of British Columbia to just go straight on into my doctoral work with him. But I wanted to learn what I was learning, especially the languages and biblical scholarship not to mention homiletics and pastoral care over at VST at UBC. So he let me continue doing that. Plus, I had challenged my BA. So had I just continued with Nicholas, I would have ended up with a doctorate but no other degrees, which is okay. Lots of people have done that. It's a meritocracy, so that works. But also at that conference, I got to meet, aside from his wife, many other scholars, including Martin Starr, who he and I had several conversations uh, about his work as an, one of the f premier uh, independent scholars who was accepted into the conference. I also got to have lunch with Jocelyn Godwin and a, and a group of others, Siobhan Houston, who was a priest in the Order of Glastonbury and done her MDiv at Harvard University's Divin Divinity School. Um, I was out of money for a room in the hotel, so I was planning on sitting in a cafe all night, and that's where I made acquaintances with my friend and friend to this day, David Bodrick, who uh, had an extra bed in his room, and we all had a great time. I got to, we hung out a lot and had drinks with Christopher Larrick, um, also, uh, what's his name, the professor, he's now a professor at University of Florida State, um, and uh, did a course on rhetoric and demonology that was very popular which he proposed I, I offer at UBC. Lots of good people I met there. It was, of course, through Dave Brodrick, whose room I shared, that I then met his BFF in Victoria, British Columbia, uh, 
a man who I later came to know as Fred or Yeshi, though we were friends on a mundane level, I suppose, first. And uh, that story is a, a long one that is still ongoing and uh, and delightful. So, yeah, that conference definitely changed my life. And um, there were some good lectures there. There were some bad lectures. This was a good one. Uh, the, the term esoteric Rosicrucians I find problematic in, in the sense that the OTO, while hermetic in many ways, definitely Freemasonic, it seems to be least of all Rosicrucian and at least of all esoterically Rosicrucian. But it's not a it's not a key point really. I think it's not a a crucial thing. But yeah, I, there's for example in the Fama Fraternitatis, Confessio Fraternitatis, and the Alchemical Wedding of Christian Rosenkreutz, there's no explicit emphasis on sex magic, which was the one of the primary things that Stars' essay here shows was trying to be incorporated. To, in a way that was veiled to draw in theosophists so that there'd be more women for them to have sex magic with. And that's why they, they created this version of the OTO in North America and uh, under Crowley's uh, paint job with a veiled motherhood promotion of uh, the sacrality of the, the pregnant woman as a way of sort of inferring that they were going to be involved in doing sex magical rites. Um, until I heard this lecture, I had no idea that Pascal Be Beverly Randall's Hermetic Brotherhood of Lux Luxor was actually also a, a sex magic based order. Um, coming from the GD tradition as I do, there's no real uh, emphasis on sex magic whatsoever, especially not in the, the outer order. And we tend to find that such practices complicate the otherwise serious pursuit of spiritual transformation, though I have nothing against sex magic in any of its uh, forms that I'm aware of. It's just something I don't have much experience in or much interest in, but um, obviously um, with other people. <laughs> uh, growing up in a TM household, I'm very familiar with the tantric practices of meditation and how to channel one's energy and uh, power into an endless cycle of enthusiasm and transformative optimism for the abundance and joy of life. And that is something that I think everyone should take very seriously. Okay, tomorrow I'm got a posting a lecture with uh, Chris Winters on self initiation, and that'll be interesting. We, we're going to do a follow up to our 2019 talk, and so yes, uh, I was shut out of the Occult Magic podcast on Anchor when they terminated the Facebook for VH Frater RC that I had used to create it. I couldn't access any of the sites anymore, and no explanation or con communication with them would ever allow me access to that information. So they're still making money on that content of mine without having to give it to me, and that's uh, frustrating. So I recorded off the speaker that lecture uh, for with Chris Winters, and we'll post it tomorrow at 4.44 p.m. PST, the witching hour, GMT, as I have done with this. Peace profound, blessed be. Conks on packs, my friends. Stay safe out there in COVID land. Hermetic Science Enterprises is a publishing company based in Scotland, UK, that specializes in Western esoteric printed literature as well as educational videos. With various imprints under its belt, its roster consists of grimoire tradition literature, alchemical works, Golden Dawn tradition books, and the several texts and videos originally belonging to the philosophers of nature. Besides its downloadable videos and standard hardcover edition books, Hermetic Science Enterprises also produces beautiful and precious limited fine edition books that are true pieces of art. 
For more information to order any of its products, please visit www.hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk. That's hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk. And as a lot of you know, I've uh, talked with the publisher Lenny on the podcast before, including a six-hour epic uh, extended version on the Patreon, and uh, seen the fine edition of his new grimoire of Scott's Discovery of Witchcraft, which is only available for purchase up to 50 limited copies uh, till the end of May, I believe. So check it out now. Hermetic Science Enterprises.co.uk